Hello everyone and welcome to the Climate Alarm Clock podcast, your weekly Irish climate news podcast. I'm Dara Wynn and we are here, a team of volunteers bringing you the latest climate news every week. Normally we have a lovely mix of features, explainers, ideas of actions that you can take, but this week in the world of climate news there is only really one story. That is that the IPCC launched their latest report to tell us what we need to do to keep global warming limited to 1.5 or 2 degrees, as outlined in the Paris Agreement. And what they're saying um, is basically that we're running out of time. They're saying, uh, this is it. By the time the next report comes out, we'll already be too late. So this feels like a really, really important thing to talk about a really, really important thing for us all to know about. So we're going to use this full episode to look in depth at the report. Uh, I'm delighted to be joined by Anna Pringle. Anna, how are you doing? I am great, Dara. Thank you. Uh, you survived the week of reading the report. I uh, Yes, I've emerged. I won't say unscathed, but I've <laughs> survived. Um, and I'm... Uh, and we're also delighted to be joined by Kira Daly. Kira, how are you keeping? I'm good, Dara. Thank you. It sounded like you couldn't remember me there. You're too consumed by the <laughs> IPCC report, are you? I <laughs> um, oh yeah, I've spent I've spent a lot of time a lot of time uh, reading it for sure. Yeah. Um, well, I'm definitely in a lot better form than yourself and Anna. But we'll come back to me at the end of this. And we'll see how I am. I might have changed my tone then. And we might have changed our tone as well, because definitely talking about these things and uh, looking at the actions we can take is how we deal with this emotionally. So that's exactly what we're doing. So I know, Anna, you were you were sort of watching the, the press release on Monday or the press conference. Do you want to talk a little bit about the background, Anna, and what happened on Monday? Sure, Dara. Um, I thought we might actually start with just listening to a clip from Antonio Guterres, who is the Secretary General of the United Nations. And he made a guest speech on Monday at the press conference launching this latest IPCC report. The jury has reached the verdict and it is damning. This report of the Intergovernmental Panel on Climate Change is a litany of broken climate promises. It is a file of shame, cataloguing the empty pledges that put us firmly on track towards an unlivable world. We are on a fast track to climate disaster. Major cities underwater, unprecedented heat waves, terrifying storms, widespread water shortages, the extinction of a million species of plants and animals, and this is not fiction or exaggeration. It is what science tells us will result from our current energy policies. We are on a pathway to global warming of more than doubled 1.5 degree limit agreed in Paris. Some government and business leaders are saying one thing, but doing another. Simply put, they are lying. And the results will be catastrophic. This is a climate emergency. Climate scientists warn that we are already perilously close to tipping points that could lead to cascading and irreversible climate impacts. But high-emitting governments and corporations are not just turning a blind eye. They are adding fuel to the flames. They are choking our planet based on their vested interests and historic investments in fossil fuels 
when cheaper renewable solutions provide green jobs, energy security and greater price stability. So, so Kira, how's the mood after listening to that? Sure. I mean, I really I have a thing where when I hear people talking about the climate, if their tone is a little bit kind of his tone there, I really had to push myself to listen. And when I really did, I heard what he's saying is basically we're in like we're in the red zone. We are in trouble. Um, So I'm a little bit like. I don't know what I I wouldn't say I'm like excruciate. I'm like not massively moved in any way. I'm just sort of thinking like. What? Why? Why is he so relaxed in what he's saying? That's kind of what my feeling is, to be honest. I'm like, that's really I, serious what he's saying, but I don't feel like his tone is matching it. He could be reading me a menu in the restaurant from what he said. I, yeah, I think that's such a good point, Kira, because I think the people who have been paying attention, there's nothing new in the report. Like, we know, <laughs> you know, yeah. if you're paying attention, we know that we're in really bad trouble. So it's, but, but it's I mean, trying I, I, to remember. I listened to, I listened to that, though, and I thought, wow, that is very hard hitting language from the Secretary General of the United Nations. So it's interesting to hear your re- response to it, Kira, because I think um, people in roles like his up to now have been much more diplomatic and haven't been as hard hitting. So yeah. for the first time, and I, actually he did this the last with the last report as well. He came out very strongly. Um, so it's interesting that you're not that's not how you're responding to it. Um just to say in my emotional response, and I don't know if you feel it, but when I hear somebody talking like that, as someone who's involved in climate action, I'm worried about it. I get a sense of relief from oh it. Oh, my God. Because I'm like, oh, b- because I'm like, I'm not mad, yeah. <laughs> you know, because you spend so much of this time thinking, oh, the world is in so much trouble. And you look around and no one else is is thinking it or feeling it. So you think, oh, it must be me. And then you hear like this guy saying, it's not an exaggeration. We're we're in line for an unlivable uh, future. And my first reaction is always relief because I'm like, okay, it is worth my while putting effort into this stuff. It is worth my while worrying about this stuff because we are talking about the future of the planet and the future of humanity. And so there's some kind of reassurance that comes out of it. And then obviously it's the anger and the motivation and, and all the other feelings. So, but, and, and, um, but also it's someone who's in a position of global influence, head of the United Nations, and you're kind of like, oh, if he's saying this stuff, people have to listen. And I saw him described this week um, somewhere as the climate hero that we need. And based on Kira's reaction, maybe not, but... Um, <laughs> <laughs> you know, but but at least he's saying the right things in a very forceful way. And he just called governments and big corporations liars. Yeah. He just said they lied to yeah. us. Um, yeah. I don't. Yeah, I mean think the words I, of what he said. I have a reaction to them, but I wouldn't have paid. Like honestly, I wouldn't have paid attention to this if I was not sitting in a podcast about climate change. That I would have been like, what is he gone about? Like, I would have no distinction to him to any other politician. You know, or anything like that. To me, it's just noise at the minute. But now that I listen to it, I'm like, why is he delivering that so calmly? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I, th- I think actually, and I thought we'd talk about the media stuff later, but I think we might as well talk about the media reaction now. Is that they talked about it on Monday or Tuesday, and they were like, okay, so we've got this report, and it's now or never. It's now or never. We need to take radical action. Um, you know, we re- need to rapidly change the way we live. Philip Boucher Hayes of RTE said we need to change our economic model. And then it was like, 
just carrying on as normal it's like okay now we're going to talk about the queues at Dublin airport <laughs> and it's like what we're guys like we've just said it's now or never and now you're just talking about everyone got off on their holidays like what <laughs> what are you doing and that's that's part of the reason like yeah there's a real a real disconnect with people um hearing the information but then just treating it like any other story and it's not it is the story so anna do you want to sort of give maybe the context of where this report comes in the general climate sphere sure so the ipcc is the intergovernmental panel on climate change they are a collection of scientists from 195 countries representing 195 countries around the world about 200 scientists were involved in the 278 authors from 65 countries were involved in putting this together, this particular part of it. What they do is they step back and they look at all of the research that's been done around the world into climate change. And these reports are basically an assessment and analysis of all the research that's been done since the last report, which was, what, six to eight years ago, 2014. And who asked them to put this? Like, Is it like governments? Is it the UN? Who's asking them to write these reports? It's under it's under the umbrella of the UN um, framework for climate change, okay. and the scientists work on it voluntarily. But it is supported. Okay. It is signed off on by all by 195 governments. Right. So if they're given their time voluntarily to this, it is obviously something they are concerned about. Oh, absolutely. And you'll see you'll see yeah. scientists saying, you know, oh, we were up all night drafting the last bits and pieces of it. So, I mean, it's it's much easier to write something by yourself than it is to write something with 278 <laughs> authors, you know. So yeah. um, so this, the, there's a so so the three parts of it were the physical science report, which is basically the physics, what's happening on the planet. The second part was, that, and this is the one we talked about about a month ago, was about adaptations. So that's what are we going to do? What changes are coming and how are we going to adapt to them? And then the third part, this part, is the mitigation report. Okay. And what that is, is how are we going to stop this? How are we going to reduce emissions? And they look at different research and analysis on pathways on how to get there. So that's what this report is. If this is so serious, yeah. why are they breaking it up into reports? Like, should this not have been done just all in one go, get it all out there so we have all of the information? Yeah, I think that's a really good question. And I think you really hit on maybe a misunderstanding that people have on it. This report, they reviewed 18,000 scientific papers mm -hmm. and looked at nearly 60,000 comments from different experts. So it's huge. The report itself is thousands of pages. So this isn't just like a few people in a room being like, okay, let's come up with ideas. This is them looking at all the information that is available to them. Uh, it takes years to put this together. And there's so much information. Like climate change affects everything. So the best use of time and resources and everything was to divide it into these sections yeah. And give a really, really comprehensive review. The other thing to say is that this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't something that they'll be doing again next month or next year. Okay. This is something that happens every five or six years. Right. Um, there will be a summary of the three reports coming out in September. But then after that, it's kind of, we're not going to hear anything from the IPCC majorly for another few years. So that's why this report is so, so, so important because there's not going to be another new report for years and years. Yep. And the report's telling us that we have three years for global emissions to peak and then we need to see a rapid, rapid reduction. We need to see our emissions cut in half in five years if we're to have any chance of meeting our climate targets. 
So it's fairly important. So it's sort of like these scientists have taken reports and studies that are already existing and just compiled them all together to present them to governments. Is that right? So that they know what actions to take. Yeah, they, they do a review and analysis of the research that exists that has been done and they also use modeling to look at in different scenarios what would happen and and they factor all the research and all the analysis and modeling into that to come out with what their recommendations are and what their findings are okay so it's a it's a big complicated process looking at basically it, it it's kind of the um how do you put it it's kind of like the bible of where we are today in terms of what we know about climate change okay and I suppose to say then in terms of what you said about governments, it is for governments. You know, this should be a document that governments are using to influence their policy. So the report is thousands of pages long. Nobody has read it, uh, <laughs> really, the full report, except Philip Boucher-Hayes, okay. uh, who we interviewed last season. He read the whole thing. Uh, fair play to him. He did, I doubt that he te- read it all this week. It is not physically possible. Uh, no, I'd say he did. I'd say he did. Well, um, I'm going to give that man some money because you sent me a press release and it, honestly, it was not even <laughs> 500 words and 40 minutes to get through. And I was like, never again. <laughs> uh, so, yeah. So basically what they do then is they condense it down into what they call a technical summary, which is 145 pages. I did read that. And then there's a summary for policymakers, which is 65, I think yeah, this one was 65 pages. pages. I read that. And that is, you know, that is there for governments. You would hope that governments and TDs and councils will be reading this and figuring out, using this as a roadmap. Um, I suppose to give the context, uh, the overall context, uh, is that these reports have been coming out for years and years, telling us we need to reduce emissions. And in the last 30 years, we have rapidly increased our emissions. So we have emitted more CO2 uh, in the last decade than we did in any decade previously. In fact, the report tells us that 17% of all emissions in the last 170 years have come in the last 10 years. So we're getting these reports telling us, guys, we really need to reduce emissions. And as a global community, we are increasing emissions. I kind of think of it, the analogy I use is... Imagine you're going to a gig somewhere. Uh, Say you're going to a gig in the three arena and you need to book accommodation. And you look well in advance of the gig and you're like, oh yeah, there's a lot of accommodation. There's some cheap options there. There's some options that are connected with public transport. There's some expensive options. You don't bother. You wait a month. You look at the accommodation again. I know where this analogy is going. There's fewer options. And then someone's like, oh, you really need to book your accommodation. You don't book your accommodation. Week before the gig, you look, the options aren't very good. They're all quite expensive. So you're like, ah, no, something will come (laughs) up. We'll wait. Day before the gig, you look and like the only accommodation that is left is miles from the venue. There's no public transport to get you there. It's really expensive. So it's going to cost you loads of money. It's going to be really inconvenient because you're going to have to like get a taxi there. Um, if you want to see the gig. And in this metaphor, the gig is a livable future. So we've left it really late and there are no good options okay. left. That's that's where <laughs> that's where we are. So we need more um, taxis. 
So, so we need, exactly, we need more taxis. No, we need to be aware that we have made some bad decisions in the past. Well, um, Dara, I, would you, I, would use, I would use the analogy of like the name of this podcast. It's the climate alarm, right? So if you think about an alarm clock and it goes off and you hit snooze, we've hit yeah. snooze and snooze and snooze. And now we are very, very late and we've got five minutes to get there. That's basically what's been happening. You guys are saying that these reports have been like, this is not just a new thing. These reports have been an ongoing thing yeah. and they've been landing in the desks of TDs and ministers and whatever people in the government are called. And they are getting them and either they're ignoring these warnings, they're ignoring the steps. That's what's been happening. Yeah, absolutely. And to say as well that in 2015, all the countries of the world agreed to the Paris Agreement that we were going to try to limit global warming to 1.5 degrees um, or 2 degrees at most. And that was kind of, that was just an arbitrary number decided on at the time. Yeah. Like, oh, that sounds pretty good. Then when the IPCC went off and calculated the actual impacts that that was going to have, they realized, Jesus, 1.5 is very, very bad and 2 degrees is terrible. So, you know, we really need to step up um, we really need to step up and do this. This report is telling us that to have any chance of reaching 1.5 degrees, we need emissions to peak uh, by 2025, and then we need to half our emissions by the end of this decade. So that is whole, like that is massive, massive changes to our way of life, and it takes huge, huge change. It seems like 1.5 degrees is unavoidable. Best case scenario is that we go over 1.5 and manage to drag it back down by the end of the century. Yeah. The trajectory we're on, we're headed for three degrees of warming, which is unthinkable. Like, think of think of if you were three degrees warmer than normal. Think of what kind of fever that would be. Yeah. If instead of being 37 degrees, you, your body temperature was 40 degrees, you'd be at death's door. The planet's average temperature is 15 degrees and we're going to pump three degrees extra heat into that. Even with all the pledges that we have made to this point, even if we meet them, we're still going for over two degrees of warming. So even if we meet all our targets as a global community, we're still way, way off. So we need massive, massive, massive societal change um, to turn this thing Do around. Do we have anyone in Ireland that's trying to... like? not Ireland specifically, or Ireland as a whole, but in the Irish government who's actually taking this seriously? Um, Are there any Irish, so, like who, what Irish people are involved in this project to like bring it home and start screaming about it? Okay, okay so who, so who should be involved? Everyone. Like everyone should be involved. This isn't saying like, oh, you know, we need to do the climate plan here. This is telling us we need to transform our society. So I had a quick look uh, to see uh, what Mary Lou MacDonald, the leader of the opposition, next Taoiseach is going to say yeah. on this. And we can listen to what she had to say about it now. Yeah, that, uh, so that's what she's just said. Um, <laughs> that's what Mary Lou MacDonald said about the report. Oh. She said nothing. <laughs> yeah. um, L- Leo Varadkar or Thornishta? We can hear what he said now. <laughs> but should we be smiling with that? <laughs> and Michal Martin or or Taoiseach um, did talk about it, but it was kind of only, it was only as a justification for carbon tax and kind of to put down Sinn Féin in the doll when they asked about carbon tax. Oh, that's encouraging. Um, 
yeah he 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 yeah so he didn't actually he mentioned it but he didn't actually say you know we're going to take this seriously and respond in the in the way that we need okay to. so i kind of guess why you guys are a bit stressed out this week well i mean but but to um, your point though we do have a climate action plan in ireland we do have a very good climate law in ireland um and the one of the things the ipcc report does say is that regulation policy laws do make a difference and they do provide the framework for action so so we we do have those frameworks for action now we just need to ramp up the actual action yeah yeah, so I think now is a good time maybe to hear another clip talking about the actual action that we need to do and kind of where we are in the context of taking action. So here's Inger Anderson. Climate change is here and now and causing huge disruptions in the natural world and to human well-being. This report tells us that we're still not doing enough to cut greenhouse gas emissions, confirming the findings of UNEP's 2021 emissions gap report. The last two decades saw the highest increase in emissions in human history, even though we know how much trouble we're in. The next decade cannot follow the same pattern if we are to hold warming this century to 1.5 degrees Celsius. Half measures will not halve greenhouse gas emissions by 2030, which is what we need to do. And we all need to go in on this. The IPCC tells us that we have the knowledge and the technology to get this done through a rapid shift from fossil fuels to renewable and alternative fuels, through moving from deforestation to restoration, through backing nature in our landscapes, oceans and cities, through transforming our cities into green and clean spaces, and through behavior changes to address the demand side of the equation. So first thoughts, I would say, at least she's showing a little bit more emotion. <laughs> who is that woman? <laughs> she is uh, Inger Anderson, who is the head or the executive director of the United Nations Environment Programme. Yeah. So again, has a worldwide reach. And yeah, I she mean, was what she's saying sounds yeah. like some of it has positive connotations to it, like that there's like hope or like that, that if we make yeah. these changes, we actually have a really nice kind of alternative ahead of us in some ways yeah 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 I, I i think so kira and i think that that came across to me more in the second report in the adaptation report where it talks about about changes to prepare for the impacts and how we can make our life um better than that one one uh one quote that uh, in terms of making our lives better that w i found amazing in the report was that the costs of of reducing emissions would be paid back in the health benefits alone. Yeah. So by reducing emissions, the actual improvement in air quality would improve human health so much that all the money we used to transition will be made back in the health benefits alone. Not even talking about the actual climate impacts um, that we would avoid, which is amazing. So yeah, there's absolutely, you know, yeah. in making these changes, we could we will make the world uh, a, b a better place if we make these changes, yeah. Yeah, there was a, I mean, there was a discussion or a description of cities, Dara. Um, I'm not sure if you came across that bit, but they were talking about yeah. what you could do in cities in order to um, 
strengthen the reaction or whatever. And I read it and I thought, oh, I want to live in this city because it's like, you know, it's putting more green spaces. It's more walking. It's more trees in the city. It's all of that. And it's how you build buildings. Um, and it's all more human. Um, yeah. And I, I thought, yeah, that would actually reduce air pollution, make everybody healthier and be so much more pleasant as a place to live. Yeah, and I think that is one of the problems Ireland faces is that we have had next to no engagement in climate action for the last 30 years. Very little urban planning, very little long-term planning of any kind. So it makes the challenge much harder for us. But I suppose when we look at us in the global context, and that's one thing that came across to me from the report, is that you know there are other countries where people still don't have a decent standard of living and that's the that's the quote that's used in the IPCC report there are people there are, you know huge poverty huge malnutrition and actually when we talk about the remaining carbon budget like the emissions that we have left to and to use up and still avoid catastrophic warming they're the people who should be getting you know, the bulk of the emissions. So our emissions should have peaked ages ago in Ireland. So what do you mean way, give way... them our emissions? How do we give them our emissions? So do, are we not if you think about emissions? It, we are. So if you think about it like like a, a, a financial budget, imagine we have a million euro left to fix the planet. Yeah. We In Ireland, we've spent loads of money in the past to make our standard of living better. Some countries haven't spent much money mm-hmm. at all. So we should give them the money. So in terms of there's a certain amount of carbon we can still use and have a safe-ish, livable future. Yeah. And so developing countries should get most of that. Okay, I get you. Um, Yeah. So historically... um, Well, I mean, I would go go further than that because we, we in the global north have built our wealth through basically stealing from the global south through colonialism and extraction. So the wealth of the UK, the US, Europe is based on taking wealth from poor countries. So, you know, you could argue actually that we should be paying reparations and we should be paying them back, not just letting them catch up. Uh, The report kind of talks about that. Um, you know, it talks about global wealth. It talks about the need for developed countries to support uh, developing countries. It talks about that. It talks about how inequality makes climate change worse, how it makes the solutions more inaccessible. So all this inequality that we're seeing, all this injustice that we're seeing is a huge part of the problem that this report is actually saying, right, we need to we need to fix this too if we're going to going to fix the climate stuff. So how do we fix it? Yeah. <laughs> <sighs> that is the big, big question, Kira, And that's what the whole report is dedicated to. And it looks at every area. It looks at energy. It looks at transport. It looks at housing. It looks at food. It looks at land use looks at agriculture we don't have time to get into all of that today so we'll be looking at different little snippets of the ipcc report for the rest of this series of the climate alarm clock but i think for the rest of it we'll talk about two things we'll talk a little bit at the end maybe about getting politically active but now i think it could be a good idea to talk about a new section in this report that didn't appear in previous reports and that relates a lot to the developed world looking at the demand side looking at demand so Anna do you want to discuss that yeah I mean it has so and this is the first time it's done this um, and it says that actually 
if if all the demand side strategies were 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 done it could reduce emissions 40 to 70 percent by 2050 and they have a high confidence that that's the potential of demand side strategies and I, Kira, I'm guessing you're about to say, what the hell is a demand side strategy? And, and it's a very good question. That's exactly what I was going <laughs> to say. I was actually um, going to say, what is demand? Well, what demand is, so it's it's like any, I mean, demand is how much energy do I need? How yeah. much electricity do I need to use? How much fuel do I need to use? And we've been having some debates about this in Ireland in the last few weeks. And I would say fairly um, infantile debates a lot of the time, um, where, you know, if the whole thing about if you if you travel at 100 kilometres an hour instead of at 120 kilometres an hour, you will use a lot less fuel in your car. Yeah. Um, nobody wants to hear that, though. Um, but that's demand side. That means you're demanding less petrol to get from Dublin to Galway or whatever. OK, if you, so like if our you, consumption, basically. Yeah, basically. So... So the report for the first time is saying explicitly that sociocultural and lifestyle changes can accelerate mitigation, can reduce emissions. And they're talking about things like um, flying, for example. We know we shouldn't be doing it. Um, and they have a lovely, uh, they have a lovely um, <laughs> acronym. They're great for acronyms. But this one is Avoid, Shift, Improve. So if you can avoid... Um, using emissions, you can avoid generating them. So, for example, avoid long-haul aviation. Um, you can shift from different things. So, for example, shift from eating meat to eating a plant-based diet. And you can improve, and the greatest improved potential comes from within the building sector. So you can use energy-efficient um, building materials and processes. So I, I kind of like that avoid, shift, improve. I think if you, yeah. if you, if you think about that even in your own life, you can you can think about ways that you could implement that. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. And and I think you know, I think where the report was strong was it was talking about how we need everybody and we need things to change and people are kind of waiting for someone else to lead the change, you know? Um in in developed countries we have no excuse. You know, we've a decent standard of living. We have we're in such a strong position. Um to actually do stuff. So, I mean, we've talked about politicians and their reactions and are they going to read it? Like, no, probably not. Are they going to listen to this podcast? Probably not. So I take the report personally (laughs) and I say, well, okay, I read it. What can I do? And this report actually tells us the stuff we can do. So one of the big things is transport. Yep. uh, Trying to be car free if possible. That's really difficult in Ireland. Maybe you can do it. Maybe you can't. What I would say is if you can't do it now, say, well, this is something I need to be doing long term. So what do I need to do so that I can be car free in five years or 10 years? But it's also not an individual responsibility or it's partly, but not entirely an individual responsibility because we need to have regulation and we need to have... Go on. Yeah, absolutely. And I agree with that. Just if I can, just in terms of the other things it says we could do, being going moving to a plant-based diet that's there and that's something you can do now we know we need to we need to eat less meat um so that's something you can do right now i actually read this uh so i came across this report 
not because I'm cool and like really intelligent studying. I work with food and drink businesses. And one of these clients actually sent me a report. So I had to read it. Unlike the government, I'm following, following through with my work, I suppose. But one of the facts in it was about the difference that swapping from a meat-based meat based diet to plant-based can make just here in Ireland. So let me grab it one second. It was that... So if each person in Ireland opted for a plant-based diet one day a week, just one day a week, the reduction in emissions would equate to removing all of the cars in Dublin for over two and a half months. Wow. And so on Friday, wow. I just gave up meat. I was like, fuck this. That's that's an easy win for me. Yeah. And, and so Kira, that's a great example of demand side yeah. energy use um, or lack of. Um, and, and actually, one of the phrases that jumped out at me in the summary for policymakers was choice architecture. Does anybody know what that is? No. Uh, well, I didn't either. I was like, choice architecture. But what it is, it's basically how choices are presented to consumers. So if you think about um, the amount of culture shift, so the, the, the chapter on demand is all about sociocultural issues and how culture has to change. People have to make different choices. But the choice architecture describes how choices are presented to consumers and how that then changes how people make decisions so yeah. when that choice is presented to you as if you give up meat for one day a week this is the equivalent of that you're like oh okay but if the choice is presented to you as look at the lovely black and white cows gambling around the lovely green fields and they're the healthiest cows in the world and aren't we great and have a steak yeah it's a different yeah. way of presenting and that I, choice yeah. yeah and i so I suppose when I think of that choice thing, if you think of the choice, okay, I can choose to support this industry that's polluting the thing, or I can choose to find the Irish producers who are producing vegetables, who are producing food in a sustainable way, and I can support them, and that helps that industry to grow. And we need to see, not so much in this report, but in the last report, we need to see massive changes in our land usage. This report talks about how much more forest cover we need globally. Um which if we take cattle off the land we can do we we can restore ecosystems to help us be prepared for the impacts and help ourselves with food security because if we hit three degrees of global warming places where we import food from we're not going to get any more so do you know what we should start growing our own food and whatever it takes whatever we need to pay people whatever we need to do to reskill people whatever we need to do to get people on board we need to do it like we really 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 need to do it yeah. but, but Dara, um, we're, we're already seeing that one of the things i heard this week was one of the talk programs on radio um talked to some vegetable growers um and or maybe it was maybe it was prime time. Anyway, they they talked to vegetable growers, and because the because apparently in some places in Ireland there is already a shortage of vegetables like tomatoes. Is it a fruit or a vegetable? Whichever. Anyway, there's a shortage. <laughs> um, but this is because the cost of powering glass houses, greenhouses, has gone so high. It's not economically viable for growers yeah. wow. to grow tomatoes here anymore. So we're already seeing the impact of this. And then what compounded that is that there was really bad weather in Spain where we get lots of our food from, so their crop has been affected. So we're already seeing climate change yep. affecting our, our food. I think one quote that really, you know, felt like it empowered me in terms of, you know, taking action or whatever or, or how you can make a difference is said, actors, that's everybody, government, civic society, individuals, businesses, 
actors either contribute to the status quo of a global high carbon consumption and GDP growth oriented economy or help generate the desired change to a low carbon energy services, well-being and equity oriented economy. So the choices you make, you know, you either decide, right, I'm going to go along with the status quo or else you put your hand up and you stand up and say, no, this isn't working. This is going to wreck our future. I am going to make the choices that I can make in the here and now. Yep. Um, and so the report and also says that collective action underpins system change. So they're actually calling for people to take action and to get involved. And, and so organizing and collective action works, which I thought was very so what kind of collective see? actions can people get involved with? Because I think people do. Like, I know you mentioned earlier that like people are waiting around for other people to take action, but I don't think that's true. I think they actually are just missing that key part of like, well, what's the government doing to help us? So what, you know, it's hard. Like I said there, I'm going to give up meat. I love meat. So I don't know how true that's going to stay for the next few months. But if I have something that's motivating me, if there's a system put in place, okay, bad example with meat, energy wise, I'd love to get rid of my car. If I had uh, something to motivate me to actually get rid of it and it not affect my day to day life in terms of like, am I able to see friends? Am I still able to see family? Am I able to get places that I'm not isolated? Then I'm more likely to make that change. But if it's not happening, how do I call for that, that to be provided for me by the people who are supposed to be doing that for me? Yeah, getting getting politically active is absolutely the thing to Have do. Have you got an so easier way for me? Well, no, but right. it's not easy, no. Kira. So you said, pull up the socks, so. Things that things that are important <laughs> aren't always easy. Yeah, and you said something there, something along the lines of like without it affecting your life. It is going to affect your yeah. life. It already Climate is. Climate change is going to affect your life massively. So are you going to let it affect it now on terms you can control? Or are you just going to wait and sit there and, and let things unfold in a disastrous way in 10 years in the future? that Or 20 years in the future? That is the choice. That's the choice all of us have. Are we going to hit snooze and again? Like I, And I, like genuinely, I think about this sometimes. I'm a music teacher and I love teaching music. And I watched the media this week do nothing on this report. And I was so angry. Because they're not doing their jobs. Yeah. No one's doing their jobs. Like, it's not, it's not too much to expect a livable future. Like, a planet where, where the standard of living is as good or better than it is now. And that's not what we're on course for. We're way, way off. Um, so when you say get so, politically active, like, what does that mean? I don't know what that means. So first of all, and we'll do up a little template that we'll share. Email your TDs and just ask them, what's your reaction to this report? How is this going to influence your your policy going forward? That's one thing. Start there, but maintain contact with the, with your TDs and your Find county councillors. Okay. And your county councillors. That's one thing. This report was huge on actually was the importance of local governance, um, how much they have to do, and hold them to account. Okay, it's disgraceful that our leaders haven't read this report or commented on it. It's absolutely disgraceful. So tell them that. And tell other people. So how that. do we yeah. like? How do we show our anger at that? Do we send them an email? Like, do we? Is that something we do? Yeah. S- start off by sending an email, and we'll do a little template up that we'll share on our socials that people can can copy and send off. Start off by sending an email, then find other groups. Find like the groups that we're going to be talking about on the podcast that lobby politicians that are engaged in civic society that are trying to make change. Join those groups. 
get active in those groups. And talk about it. Talk to your family, family, family and friends, friends and family. Um, when it comes to making big long-term decisions in your life, that's where you really need to to think about climate change. So the next car you buy, or if you're buying a house, or those kind of things, that's when you really need to make the decision. So just commit to considering climate change in your life more. Yeah, and yeah, and trying to trying to hold people to account who aren't doing their job because we are failing, as Antonio Guterres said, we're failing massively. Like we're way, way, way off course. Um. So yeah, committing to committing or so yeah, trying to hold our politicians to account um yeah, is where where we go with it. One of the big themes from this report was saying it's now or never. And I actually don't like that phrase because I think we might go oh shit, well we can't do it now, so let's leave it till never then. Um because it's not now or never. Action has to happen even if I mean so setting a target like saying it's now or never, this has to happen by 2025, that allows us to fail. We can't fail here. Any action is better yeah. than none. And, and yeah, and when yeah, and I think when you see when you see another problem that's a barrier, like the housing crisis, we can't tackle climate change because we have a housing crisis. No, the housing crisis is part of the problem, and we need to tackle climate change while tackling the housing crisis. Oh, we can't take climate action because of the war in Ukraine. The war in Ukraine is part of the problem. It's Putin's income is coming from fossil fuels so let's tackle both of them at the same time so that's one thing is don't look at other problems as a barrier to climate action look at them as an additional challenge because that's what they are yeah all these things are connected and we need to tackle them all but we cannot neglect climate change because it is literally our future that's at stake. I mean, one of the other takeaways from the report is no new infrastructure should be built for fossil fuels. So what does that mean? That means if you hear that we are building gas plants because we need them in the interim, you need to be asking your TDs and, and county councillors, why are we doing that? If you hear we're bringing in LNG to Shannon, we need to stop that and not let it happen. So that's where we need to be protesting and, you know, raising questions because everything we do has an impact. Yeah, I think maybe then to to finish off, could we hear a little bit more from Antonio Guterres on that? Oh, get ready to um, get moved. <laughs> Leaders must lead. But all of us can do our part. We owe a debt to young people, civil society and indigenous communities for sounding the alarm and holding leaders accountable. We need to build on their work to create a grassroots movement that cannot be ignored. If you live in a big city, a rural area, or a small island state, if you invest in the stock market, if you care about justice and our children's future, I am appealing directly to you. Demand that renewable energy is introduced now at speed and at scale. Demand an end to coal-fired power. Demand an end to all fossil fuel subsidies. That was actually a little bit more encouraging, or not encouraging, but a little bit more moving. But maybe it's because I have yeah. more context. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think Inger Anderson's call to action as well is a is another good one to listen to. Increased action must begin this year, not next year. This month, not next month. And indeed today, not tomorrow. Otherwise, we will, as the UN Secretary General put it, continue to sleepwalk into a climate catastrophe. So I think a couple of key takeaways from this. One is the challenge is enormous and we do have to act now. The good news is, though, 
that the cost of renewable energy is coming down. We know we can do it. The good news is that this report shows that individuals can demand action and can get together and work together to make change happen. So the good news is there's a lot of positive things happen happening. They just need to happen faster and we all need to be doing our bit to make them happen faster. That's really encouraging and I actually I'm very glad to hear you say that for one. Thank you, Anna. Um Kira, how's your mood now? It's actually okay. I mean I thought I was gonna be really in a ball at the end of this. Um I'm definitely like I'm definitely a bit uh, more in, in motivated to take some actions that I've been kind of putting off and I always talk about I'm going to talk to councils I'm going to email and I don't admittedly I don't so today I'm going to bloody send an email if not three uh, that's my mood I definitely need to learn more about this is what I've learned today great and I suppose that's what we're here to do you know at the climate alarm clock we're here because people can't easily get the information they need about this crisis. So we're here every week with the latest climate news, information of actions that you can take, um, information about what we need to change, how we can do it. So if you did uh, get something out of this episode, please make sure to follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Climate Alarm Clock and on Twitter at The Climate Alarm. Wherever you listen to your podcasts, um, do please subscribe and give us a review. And if this information is new to you and you feel it's important, please do share this podcast, this episode with a friend. And let's, uh, let's get going on taking the action we need to take. So next week we'll be back with our normal episodes where we have a mix of features. We'll be rounding up the news, telling you about climate events that are happening during the week hearing from a range of people and finding out some actions you can take. So until next week, goodbye. Okay, bye. Bye. <laughs> See you next week. For more good news.